Welcome to the TALON project. TALON stands for Teaching and Learning Online Network. As we adjust to the new COVID-19 reality, TALON provides a platform for sharing and discussing resources and practices for remote education. You can learn more at taloncloud.ca. Enjoy this episode. My name is Mac McGinn, and I'm very excited to introduce and be joined today by Mary Allen Tyler. Uh, so, Mary Allen, let's uh, let's start off by you just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do. Okay, um, pleasure to be here, Mac. And again, I, I certainly appreciate and support what you're trying to do with the Talon project, and I think it's going to be good for everyone. Um, my background, I I have a varied background, but I came here as a former. I am a former dean. I came back. Calgary in 98 as the Dean of, the, of then Faculty of Environmental Design. Uh, I'm a full professor and for the last three years I've been acting as the interim associate dean for the uh, Master of Planning and Landscape Architecture programs. I teach in both landscape architecture and planning. Um, I generally do studios, uh, regional planning, uh, design studio, professional practice studio, uh, climate change adaptation courses, um, I teach a lot of different things depending on the year um, and, and who's available and who's on sabbatical. So I have a lot of history um, with the faculty and now the School of, of Architecture, Planning and Landscape. So hopefully that history gives me a bit of insight into the questions. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think you're a very valuable person to be able to, to, to do this interview with, with your extended experience on many different levels. So uh, we'll jump into the first question here. So um, how will or does your teaching look like in 2021 or 2020? Um, how well? <laughs> yeah, more, more just what, what's kind of adapted and changed? What's, oh, what, yeah. yeah. What's it looking like? I think it's interesting. It, I started off being very Concerned. I mean, I had a head start since the shutdown in March, where we had to switch online in, in literally less than 38 hours. Um, and that was pretty dramatic, but we did it. And I think that the lesson, different lesson there, was that students had been halfway through the term before that switch changed. And so we had built up already, you know, some background, some trust, some communication, uh, a project nothing was starting from scratch. So that made the adaptation easier. This year, everything is starting from scratch on remotely. I happen to be using Zoom primarily because that's primarily what the university is, has been based in. Although I think uh, other people are trying different things for their studios. Um, so far with small classes, the Zoom seems to work. The difference is it's, especially when you're starting from scratch, I think it's takes longer to build up the rapport um, with the students and between students um, around what's happening in the class, the intention, um, the communication. And I, because I think there's, there's a whole conceptual and cognitive development that comes when you're thinking abstractly uh, about problem solving that just, it's not just a litany of facts that you're presenting. It's, it's a very different kind of learning engagement and that is a little bit harder, I've noticed, for students, taking a little bit longer when we start, we start with a distance approach or a remote approach. Um, but I noticed in the first, now we're almost, almost six weeks into it, 
there, there has been, a, I think, a corner turned. Um, as of last week, most students were willing to discuss that they were feeling more comfortable, that it was feeling better, that they were starting to, you know, through the assignments, having had opportunity to talk to each other outside of class um, in multiple ways, both through their workspaces as well as, as online. And so um, by checking in with them um, every couple of weeks to see how they were doing, it, seemed to, it seems to me that, that it didn't start off great, but it seems to be, you know, sort of growing nicely. And that uh, by last week, we were having discussions on Zoom that I think I fully would have anticipated having in person. So I think we're seeing um, good, some good signs. I mean, everyone's still a bit wistful about being in the studio and, 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 and that's good. The only real other difficulty, which I don't think we can surmount, um, is with my landscape uh, ecology, landscape architecture, landscape ecology courses. It's not possible to, to really give students the conceptual framework they need to, to undertake some of the work if they are never able to understand the regional landscape. And there's only so much you can do for someone who's never been in it before. Um, if people are familiar with it, then yes, you know, representations like Google Earth or something, it gives them enough to be able to make that leap. But if they're from a different country and they've never been here, it's really difficult to try to you know, communicate to them and show them even um, visually uh, explain the dynamic processes at the landscape level. So I think we're going to have more problem in our, um, on our landscape class dealing with regional landscape change than we are in our regional planning studio class where I think, uh, again, the type of problem and the type of context we're dealing with uh, are different. And, um, and I think one lends itself slightly better you know, to understanding of students who aren't familiar with, with the context than, uh, than the other does. So that's my, 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 my guess so far, but I'll you know, certainly gonna have to reevaluate it all at the end of one entire term remotely to see if, if anything changes. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you came and spoke in, in Catherine's uh, studio, which I was in last uh, end of last year in the winter, and uh, you spoke heavily about being able to walk the site and, and get a feel for the site and being around. And it must be difficult for people not in Calgary, not locally to that site and, and, and yeah. be further away. I mean, I think <laughs> the Talon newsletters recognize it, but learning is hugely experiential, or at least I think it should be hugely experiential at the professional graduate level. And and this is really restricting the experiential potent, you know, opportunity for, for some students who, who just aren't from here um, and haven't grown up here trying to uh, acclimatized to a new situation. I've worked on a, a number of major consulting projects, um, you know, 20 years ago that were in China and trying to figure that site out before I actually went to China, it was a large regional area, it was difficult. And, and so I could appreciate the experience that those folks are having trying to make head and or tails out of a place you've never been. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, on the flip side of that, so what opportunities do you think are created through this remote or digital education that we're in now? Um, well, I think clearly the fact that people who are in India and China are participating or people who are in Toronto and Montreal are participating. Um, that makes a huge difference. I, I mean, I think it opens up this 
this this portal essentially for international communication or you know distance communication with with a certain um, you know again both in terms of connecting with expert resources as well as for having students being able to dial in to expert resources so I, I think that's something that that does is a big plus and can can really help expand again I think it's topic specific to a certain degree, but I think it like that we had a block course, um, I guess it's almost two weeks ago now, and which um, a number of international speakers were, 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 were inserted on Zoom to talk about new ideas for downtown Calgary or that new ideas from their perspectives where they are just that might have, have some traction in terms of being customized to Calgary and students work with that. We would never have been able to have done that before. Uh, and, and that really enriches, I think, uh, not, not just student learning, but thinking, <laughs> you know, the, being ex exposed to new ideas, new concepts, different cultural perspectives. I think that really makes a difference. Absolutely, I would completely agree. It's it's broadened uh, even my as a, from a student perspective, broadened my my uh, my scope, so to speak, on on people that are identifying and, and being able to explain certain aspects of what they're they're diving into with their research. Um, so, what types of challenges do you find for you um, in terms of pedagogy uh, that have been created through this? I know you touched on a few, but if you could elaborate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Like they say in real estate, location, location, location. When it comes to this, I say time, time, time. Um, because it's on multiple levels. First, the time in preparing the course, knowing what you're facing, uh, like over the summer was huge. Um, trying to think through alternative ways of presenting, trying to understand it from a student perspective and, you know, like the role of, you know, it's not just, you know, for me, it isn't just, well, here's, here's how I want to present it. I have to think about, you know, where are the students coming from in terms of what is, what, what their perspectives are, and then how can I take it to them? And like, what are the steps that have to happen in order to make it accessible to them? So that took a huge amount of time in the summer preparing for the courses. Then the response time um, during the term, um, students in the because of remote they need individual tutorial time with you um, and so there's the class time but then there's also the scheduling of all the individual meeting times um, to supplement that so that they you know it, it really does need a one-on-one -on -one component uh, particularly when in both of my courses they work through a series of exercises so you really have to you know be engaged with them in their in their individual perspectives around the exercises as well as the class's collective view of things. Um, and then the time in feedback. Um, so once you, you, you know, I've, they're changing the, the, the format of the assignments so that you're able to give them feedback on, on what you need from them. Um, I mean, normally, I mean, marking, quote unquote, marking or evaluation or review always takes time, but it isn't, so much the comments. It's, again, putting the comments into the work uh, in a format that they can understand, like, uh, okay, here's what you did. Here's another view of it, because everything, again, is spatial in landscape architecture. So you're showing them a different image 
a different drawing, that kind of thing. So, so then that takes time. I, I think it's helpful, but again, it's, it's a huge amount of time for an instructor. Um, and again, my, my job is not at the moment, or at least as the, as the associate dean, it's, it's um, not primarily as an instructor. So mm -hmm. it's really added onto the, the uh, workload uh, uh, for me anyway, and my trying to carry other duties. And I'm sure it's, it's increased the workload of, of instructors without administrative duties, but who still are trying to do research and publication. Yeah, that must be quite the challenge to to kind of uh, balance the, those two different workloads um, together with the uh, with and, being uh, associate dean. Yeah, and I don't think we're the only victims. I, I think students are feeling that there's also a huge overload. Um, that seems to be a lot of the stress, at least in the people I've talked to. They feel absolutely overwhelmed by all of this time commitment. It's it, especially when they're used to having you know, trying to go to school and do some part-time work. So I think the workload comes on both sides. Um, and that's something we're all going to have to figure out how to manage more effectively. You know, if the, even if we move into more in-person, but still keep the hybrid for some of its advantages, um, I think our sense of timing is going to have to be adjusted. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Um, in, in, in light of kind of discussing that time, is there um, certain resources or software tools that you would use to help you effectively manage your time or, or create those courses for the feedback, um, so forth? Well, for example, I'll give you one example that it was almost, um, you know, sometimes the old fashioned stuff isn't bad. <laughs> uh, well, for example, I, everyone went out and thought, wow, the way we'll handle all this regional landscape is with 360 cameras and all this video and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I thought so too, you know, cause it, it's okay, it's new, it's pretty sexy technology, 360 cameras, you know, that stuff. And it didn't work, it didn't work when I thought, God, how are, if I'm dealing with students, I know what I'm seeing when I'm doing the video, but do they know what I'm, do they know what they're seeing when they're seeing the video? And the problem was the video goes too fast. So what I really event, that's what I real, that was my, I wasted some time doing, you know, some camera work and then decided, wait a minute, from a learning perspective, if I've got students that aren't familiar with this landscape and really don't have any background, which a lot of them don't, um, watching the video, what are they going to see? So I went back and just went out and started taking photographs that I then very, in a very old fashioned way, put on to PowerPoint because once they're in PowerPoint, then I can put graphics on top of them and I can lay it all in what I want. The arrow goes here, it's moving that way. The trees are gonna grow there. In 10 years, this is gonna look like this. I can annotate graphically each of those and then I can animate them. And so they can slow it down. They can, they can run it all through if they want to. They can slow it down and spend an hour on one slide reading and trying to figure it out if they need to. I mean, I had to put it in a format that students could access at their own speed. And I found that just going back to plain old photographs in PowerPoint with graphic annotation was a better method, I think, for them being able to access it as fast or as quickly as they needed. And that I was actually, I was imprinting the information on top of the image rather than assuming that everybody's gonna see what I see. Mm -hmm. It's uh, like a little bit of trial and error, just trying to figure out how to teach those concepts and. 
Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting point that you bring up that are they seeing what I'm seeing? And how do I teach, you know, them to see what I'm seeing in those exactly. ways? Yeah, and that's really what field work is, is, is a lot of teaching people to see. <laughs> Sounds crazy until you've been out in the field, you know, and someone is actually explaining it to you. Oh, absolutely. Start to see it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I saw a friend in landscape, uh, Nathan Stelfox, and he was uh, doing some of the 360 camera work. And I was like, oh, that would be quite interesting. It would be seeing like how this is going to come uh, to fruition and, and see what kind of results are coming out of that. And, um, you know, you could see it maybe from a student perspective, from from a teaching perspective, I think it's just they're two quite different things. Yeah. And it works well in other contexts. I mean, I think there's some other classes in which they've had great success with it because they're, they're talking. I think the scale makes a difference. I mean, you know, video of a street versus the video of an entire region. <laughs> you know, there's a, the scale differences, I think, affect it. Um, and, and I think the same applies with Zoom. I found Zoom work pretty well. As long as I can annotate, then on top of the images, then that works well for me. But a lot of other people have suggested, including students, that when they work secretly, <laughs> or off outside of class time, they prefer, uh, I think, Vimeo or a couple of others, uh, things that, that they have gotten hooked on that they prefer. And there certainly is lots of choices. But um, I think I always go with the standardized stuff just because there's less that can go wrong. And we don't have a lot of IT support at your, you know, like instantaneously. So mm -hmm. I, I've tended not to have, I haven't leaped into anything really new yet. But, um, and I, it's just because I haven't had to, but I think certainly I've heard from others that they're trying some new things. And I think that's great because I think it's gonna be like, you know, it's like an artist's palette. We're gonna have more than one color <laughs> and mm -hmm. use it as you need it or as you think best. And so I think just having this range of choices available, um, I think will, will help everybody find the right, uh, the right solution to the right situation. Absolutely. It's, but it, again, it comes down to time that you were discussing, yeah. uh, learning the technology, implementing the technology, and even in your, pro, in, in your view is teaching it and, and trying to get the point across. So um, is there any favorite resources um, that you've been using for teaching and learning that you've been relying on? Again, you're going to be shocked. This sounds like dinosaur talk, but <laughs> reading, God forbid, reading. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I've actually had students say, you know, like putting more readings up on D2L, I've actually had students say, yeah, I'm not on, I'm tired of the screen. Like I can read, I don't have to look at a computer screen. I can take my time. It helps me understand. So surprise, surprise. But what I've, the feedback I've been getting is that reading seems to be back in, in fashion <laughs> in that Absolutely. Sense. That people it's are almost, appreciating it. Yeah, it's almost like reading's a break from the <laughs> computers that we're in front of all day. So, you know, if you can get more education through that sense and kind of balance your screen time with uh, physical copies, I think that's fantastic. Um, so in our final question here, um, what do you expect higher education to look like in, say, 10 years? Um, <laughs> oh it's a pretty loaded question. So I was going to say, I've, I've never been good at Picking the future, my my Stanley Cup picks in the hockey pool don't ever <laughs> do well. So I don't know. Ten years is a big leap. Um, I think that. Well, 
I think that we there. I think that we will see some significant changes. Um, I think one of the significant changes is going to be the hybridization. I think you know once you make the change, you're not going to go back. Um, I think it, there's going to be a hybridization of of education, and that, then that may be a good thing <clears throat> because I think <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think education, like everything else, is going to become more customized. And students clearly um, have needed to work more and more as, as time has gone on and as the cost of education increases. Um, given the pandemic and the impact it's going to have on the economy, it's really obviously hard to tell whether that's going to change, but I don't see that changing. Uh, I do see education become more becoming more customized that students will be picking more specific modular types of packages of education of, of, of knowledge that they will then combine in ways that suit them for whatever you know sort of changing ideas that they have and I think you know again it's going to students are going to be very entrepreneurial in terms of creating an education that 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 they want that could be individualized or customized to their interests. So I think there'll be a lot more choices. It's not like you're gonna come in, you're gonna, you know, you're here for four years, you know, and by the end of it, you'll have something. I, I think people want that timeline timeline to change. I think they feel like, well, if I'm working, A, I wanna have a little more, I don't wanna, you know, I wanna have a, more time to work and do this. I want a little bit more flex and choice. So, and I think the technology will absolutely help with that. Um, we may actually move to what I call more conference style delivery of courses where people do stuff and then come together three weeks of the term, six weeks of the term, meet, give their presentations, get to know each other personally, and then go back to wherever they are. Um, I, I think it is going to change. And I think there's going to be a huge role for not just instructional design in the sense of content delivery, but you know, design in the sense of, well, how are we going to restructure, you know, these, for lack of a better word, learning modules or learning pods so that people are getting their techno fix in these three courses and then they move on to their application fix here and then they move on to their practice fix. So I, I do think it's going to change a lot. Um, how exactly it's going to play out because, and when it plays out, in, in other words, is that going to be the model for graduate education or is it going to be the model for undergraduate education? Then is graduate education different because research is different and professional programs like the ones in our school are different again. Um, we're, we're not focused on the same kind of research that most, um, most faculties in FGS are. The professional education is slightly different. So I think we'll be changing because the profession I think the professions and, and what our goal in education as a professional in professional education is quite distinct from, from uh, research in, um, in the bench sciences in that sense. Um, so I think, I think it's going to be, <clears throat> I think there's going to be a lot more choice, a lot more variability, um, and a lot more what I would call, um, I hate to say it because it sounds kind of light, uh, lifestyle driven in the, in the sense of if you're a learner, and you're working, you know, what's your, you know, what kind of, what kind of lifestyle driven choices are you going to make? Are you really going to sit in a chair for two years or are you going to, you know, 
again, do this for three months, do something else, do that. How are you gonna put it all together? So I think the key to it, I can't envision the exact product, but I think it is going to be a, um, what I call hybrid, hybridized in terms of in-person and technology. I think it is going to be highly customized and a bit deconstructed. <laughs> and, and I think it's gonna be a lot more entrepreneurial on the part of the learner instead it's going to be more like a, a buffet <laughs> educational buffet than a set dinner where you get your dessert soup and you know you pick whatever it is have dessert first you know <laughs> i think there'll be a lot more choice and i think we'll be deconstructing some of the traditional you know three four year degree time commitments yeah, that's very interesting. It actually, as you were speaking, it was kind of reminding me of uh, when I was in the Rayic syllabus uh, program where you were working while you're in school so you can still practice as being your, your industry yeah. professional and then you can actually go home and still study and, and kind of have that work-life balance. Uh, and it's the idea of that uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all anymore. It's more of a kit of parts and, and as you yeah. said, the picking out of the buffet. Yeah, I like that analogy. Yeah, and I think it's quite exciting because I think, I mean... I kind of come from an era where we didn't have job expectations. I mean, we really did believe in the 70s <laughs> that, you know, we'll make it happen. We'll just do it. You know, I came, I came from a generation that didn't feel the job pressures the same way that people seem to be feeling now. The assumption was, well, we'll just go out there and make our own jobs. And I think that call it naivety, call it genius, call it whatever you want, is coming back. I think people are realizing that, you know, they're going to make it. Whatever happens, they're going to make it happen. And, and I think that's, that's exciting. That's exciting for everyone. And, uh, and so I think we have to support that and, and offer the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And uh, I think that's actually a great positive note to to end on, an optimistic note about what the future could be like. So um, first of all, I'd like to say thank you again, uh, Marianne, for, for joining us today uh, and, and uh, willing to do the talent interview. Oh, you're very welcome. Again, I think it's a great initiative. It's something we're all going to have to start thinking about. And uh, so it's it's great to be part of the ground floor. We appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Bye now. This episode was produced by Talon. You can find the video of the interview and more at talencloud.ca. The Talon Project is funded by the Richard Parker Initiative. It is hosted at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape at the University of Calgary. Thank you for listening.